there. Welcome to Rested Mamas Talk. We're Chelsea and Mika, your certified pediatric sleep coaches who were once exhausted mamas just like you turned into rested mamas who now have helped hundreds of families get better sleep in three days with an alternative to traditional sleep training. As creators of the Association Fading Sleep Method, we teach a responsive and holistic approach. Our podcast is dedicated to sharing the journey from true parental exhaustion to thriving parenthood. From real sleep tips, from us and other experts to real stories of families just like you, let's get rested. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rest and Mama's Talk. My name is Chelsea, and it is so great to have you here today. Hello, Mika. Hello, and I am Mika. <laughs> We're talking about some really, really big topics today. I am excited. Are you excited? Okay, so this is actually a very big, I think is a little bit of an understating word for this topic today. And at times, honestly, it can be pretty polarizing. I think that there are lots of different, you know, opinions and, you know, areas of thought around this. And that is really surrounding. Go ahead. Yeah. Feelings. It's in general. Like, this is a huge topic that honestly, Chelsea and I love to talk about and educate Mm -hmm. on. Um, And the question is, that we get all the time. Does my child need to cry for hours in order to sleep train? Yeah. And and that's kind of at the heart. (laughs) Is it bad? bad? Does that mean it's bad? There's so many opinions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the data data and what, 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 not only the data, but also for sure the data, but also what are our experiences with it? What are our clients experiences with it as well? I think that that is also something that is important to talk about because I mean, you can go right. Amika, you, you can go and look at countless studies out there. I mean, even we can Google it today and there are, you know, hundreds, dozens out there about crying and sleep training. And, but, you know, let's kind of really bring it down almost a level and really talk about how it relates to us as parents and kind of go from there. So, you know, so we actually recently talked to a, a, a fairly good sized group of our former clients and we were really kind of looking at, you know, not only why they decided to work with us, but you know, what were some of their thoughts going into sleep training and what were some of them, stop them. Yeah, 100%. And one of the questions that we got a lot was because, you know, you know us guys, we do not use cried out method. That's not a method that we use. We do provide an alternative for that. And so the topic of crying came up quite a bit, right, Mika, in these conversations with these previous clients. And it was really interesting because we were really able to actually get to the core of what crying meant for them. Like we talk about all the time with our clients, you know, like, you know, how do you feel about crying? You know, are, you know, what are your emotions around that? But like, really, like, what did they associate crying to mean? Mm-hmm. And I found it, it was like, so interesting to me because and now some of our clients were even like, oh, gosh, I don't even think I've like, really even thought about that. Because but when my I hear it moves fast, right, it goes from sleep training to oh, sleep training means a lot of crying and a lot of crying is bad. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But like, why is it bad 
like, why do you feel like it was bad? Or why is it hard for you as a parent with, you know, to hear the crying or to, you know, to be around crying? And, you know, just to share, I don't know, Mika, if we can kind of share just a couple of things. But sometimes, you know, some of our clients said, you know, they associated that with like, you know, that they weren't doing what they should be doing for their child, that they almost they were neglecting them in some way. We had another client that said they, they associate that with like that they were having feelings of, of trauma, that the, it was a traumatic experience for them. And so it was really nice to actually kind of take a minute to, to dive into that, right? You know, was crying something that was of uh, you know, because we get the spectrum, right? <laughs> we get clients that are like, oh my gosh, crying. I cannot stand hearing my child cry. And then I get the the clients like, oh, I don't really care too much about crying. Where did you fall in <laughs> with that with your um, I, I mean, I was right in the middle. We talked yeah. about this in another podcast, podcast with Emily on mom guilt. And part of the issue is that it is such a polarizing topic. Mm-hmm. And there are so many articles around there that generalize a lot of things that lead you to the point of your baby is crying, crying is bad. Right. And that's really hard when you already kind of feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, from a spectrum perspective, I like to think I'm pretty pragmatic and Mm -hmm. the mom guilt is always there. I don't like to hear my children cry, but I also know that's part of a general emotion and it's our way of communicating something. And so that also means I have to stop and pause and figure out what is it they're actually communicating. Um, And that's middle. Yeah. And that's actually something that I think, is important and something that we talk a lot about within kind of, you know, what we do. And that is actually why, like the reason behind your child is crying when you begin the process of, you know, changing your routines and sleep training and really working towards better sleep. And it really is surrounding just a lot of times in that initial beginning, we've also talked about this in another podcast is your child is just a little confused, right? Wait, before we go into that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, think yeah. I think it's, I think it's important. So we even say, right. Sleep training, the word sleep training is so thrown out there, right? It's so used. So generalized. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's break it down first. If you're, you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out, okay, where, what, what is it that Megan and Chelsea are actually trying to say? This is where it stems from. You Google sleep training. Mm-hmm. General practice of sleep training is what? Cry it, out. cry it out. What is cry it out? Cry so it cry out. out is extinction. So it, what is extinction? <laughs> what is extinction? Love it. So extinction is where you extinct your presence in response to your child. You so leave your child you in leave, their room after bedtime. Cry. Just literally let them cry until they they find their journey from awake to to, to drowsy to a right. So yeah. it's it's unregulated. I'll say, I'll call it unregulated learning. Okay. For some families, some cultures, that is a thing. And that is Chelsea and I, we don't, we do, we do not shame things. No. And we don't, honestly, we don't even knock cried out as like a, like a method that 
you should or shouldn't use. I mean, it definitely, we always say that whenever you're kind of a, approaching this, you know, this journey of sleep, for your family. whatever is right for your family. And sometimes that does mean cry out. And what, you know, it's what extinction is you lay baby down or you lay your child down, you know, and you walk out and you essentially do not go back to them at all. There's, then there's Ferber, which is intermittent checks, which is also known as leave and check. Mm-hmm. And that is when you do that, but you check in every, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. Those are the most popular sleep training methods that are out there, which I will say is a, at least a good majority of the programs that you will learn. Okay. So knowing that, and that is a common conception, guess because what? Because they are very a lot of times synonymous. So yeah. Sleep training equals... Cry it out or fervor. fervor. Yes. And that sometimes means, and you're going to see that, right? Um, There's a lot of crying. And sometimes, especially with cry it out, that means there's a lot of unregulated crying. So now let's take that thought Mm -hmm. and break it down to if you are talking about longer periods of unregulated crying and then generalize the idea of prolonged crying. What is prolonged crying? So, <laughs> Mika, what is that definition? Talk about that. So let's let's lay out prolonged crying. Right when you think of that in your head, it's you just think, oh, it's a long time. It is actually medically defined as daily, uncontrolled crying without obvious cause, persistent for at least two weeks. Two weeks. That's a lot of crying. Okay. That's a lot of of crying. And so take that. Okay. Let's just like really boil out why this, why all this feels like it's wrong. Then there's cry it out. You think that you think prolonged crying and guess where else prolonged crying and studies have stemmed from unregulated crying from Russian orphans. Honestly, that was no, there's like, that's like one of the first studies that, that came out of it. Yeah. Hey, tell, tell everyone about this study. <laughs> tell everyone about this study. Well, in full disclosure, I haven't looked at it in quite a little while, but, but they actually took, do you remember what year it was done? Oh my gosh. A long time ago. Like, like decades. decades. Yeah. Decades ago. And basically they were looking at the effect of crying specifically in children and infants in an orphanage that was, I would probably say, pretty unregulated, most likely very understaffed. And the amount of response that each child got, frankly, was very minimal. So there was not only the level of just reduced human interaction, frankly, as well as they were also looking at the crying aspect as a whole. You know what I'm saying? So what did, can you want to share what that study found? Well, I mean, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. It was bad. Because that was prolonged crying and yeah. not just for sleep training. Like it was prolonged crying. It was neglect. Day. I mean, there was like neglectful. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was an orphanage, right? Like there's, there's going to be some, some impacts later. Um, And that study about increased cortisol having lasting impacts on an infant 
somehow found its way into sleep training mm-hmm. right out and it was used as a support of sleep training again sleep training general sleep training for work right out being harm okay. in which you will actually see that um, those who created the study for that that orphanage on cortisol on infants yeah will actually actually came out and said our study was misused yeah it was misused. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, still, nobody wants to hear prolonged crying, right? But on the other hand, right? So, let's now talk about specific why is that crying different than general sleep training crying? Yeah. So, and you actually mentioned cortisol levels. Okay. So, I think that that's an important thing to kind of talk about. So, within our realm of working with a lot of clients, we do talk about cortisol levels and melatonin, right? Melatonin, which I think a lot of people know out there is, you know, that sleep hormone to, yeah, to help you to fall asleep, right? Cortisol level is actually technically a stress hormone. It is what your body releases and times of stress and is actually needed for survival. Um, It is needed because it also is the hormone that allows you to wake up, (laughs) to arouse. (laughs) And so, you know, we talk a lot about how cortisol levels naturally increase in those early morning hours because it is biological to help your body to wake up. Well, and so that study and actually a lot of other studies have looked at though kind of the effect of crying and that stress hormone of cortisol with in connection of learning how to sleep. And it was really interesting. Actually, I was reading an article not that long ago, Mika, and the AAP actually discusses three different types of stress responses. There's a positive stress response. There is a tolerable stress response. And then there's also a toxic stress response. So you know, when we're talking about prolonged crying, that would really fall more under toxic stress response, where there is um, does an overall heightened increased level of cortisol. However, there that's not to say that all stress is necessarily bad, if that makes sense. <laughs> I know, which is like a lot of times where you don't equate it to that way, but right. And then there's there's and, and it's and it's good. So when, let's when we pause on cortisol levels, it's also really important that we talk about how it's relative to the situation. Yeah. And so I know that you have some thoughts on this, Chelsea, but (laughs) one, one thing that was interesting was when they did measure cortisol levels for sleep training, right. Um, it was, what no, no more than the same cortisol levels that a child experiences at daycare. Yeah. And you're not going to not put your child in daycare. <laughs> you're not going to not work. <laughs> yeah. It's like the benefits, right? So it's like, Oh, at the other side of it, again, if we're just talking about general sleep training, we're not talking about our method, but you also then have a choice to make with your family of that short-term cortisol increase and, you know, the benefit that they'll get from actually sleeping well long-term. Well, that's actually, um, sorry, you guys, we like keep on, we're all about like the research and the data, the articles. So those of you who know us, we are all like, let me give you the evidence because we just really are truly evidence-based sleep coaches to be frank with you. But it was really interesting because I was also reading another article where it was talking about 
toddlers and preschoolers. And they were saying that toddlers that experience broken sleep kind of over a period of time actually have a higher base cortisol level compared or that stress hormone compared to toddlers or preschoolers that are getting really good, consistent, consolidated sleep. (laughs) And so that their overall stress within their body is actually overall decrease. And then same with babies, you know, that that same cortisol level is actually lower within babies who are also getting consistent and consolidated sleep. So, Um, so can we actually, I I would love to read this and share this This from Harvard health. Okay. Okay. Let's, Let's hear it. To measure the effects on the babies, the researchers did something interesting. They measured the level of cortisol, a stress hormone in baby saliva. They also asked some mothers about their stress level. 12 months later, they looked for any emotional or behavioral problems in babies. And they also did testing to see how attached the babies were to their mothers. Mm -hmm. Here's what they found. The babies in the graduated extinction group, right? So we're calling this Ferber, right? Leave and check. And the bedtime fading group, first of all, bedtime fading, there's really, it's not truly sleep training. It's just you move around schedules and you get them Mm -hmm. required. Um, And so there's differences in crying there. Both of them asleep faster and had less stress than the control group, which was just nothing was applied. Yeah. Mothers were less stressed than the control group mothers. And of these three groups, the extinction group babies were less likely to wake again during the night. So again, the group that actually applied a sleep training method, specifically leave and check. Mm-hmm into emotional or behavioral problems or attachment. All three groups were the the same. (laughs) We're the same. And so that really goes to like the long term, right? And so kind of to pull it back, I think what we're trying to say here, you guys, is that all of these methods, all of these, you know, really decisions you're making as family, what you feel like is works for you and for your family really shows that At the end of the day, getting good, consistent, and consolidated sleep, however you go about doing that, is actually of most benefit to your child. And that there is really truly no long-term effects of whichever method that you choose. Okay? That really at the end of the day, right, Mika, it really is just goes back to sleep and helping your child get the sleep needs that they they need, right? Or excuse me, meet the sleep needs that they need. Now, I mm. want to caveat that though. Okay, go for it. Broad statement, right? It is a broad statement. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. And I am the tough love coach. Yeah. And really? <laughs> love coach yeah. Tell you, however, I mean, there, there is going to be, oh, there can be a way to sleep train your child without playing or flirting with prolonged crying. So, yes. Right. So uh, talking about the negative stuff. I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to say, yes, whatever is right for your child sleep training. Right. And we always say you're only going to sleep train if if what you have right now is unsustainable. And if you're and your entire family is not getting sleep, if it's sustainable, you got your great working for you. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) If it's not and you need to sleep train, right. 
know that if you do it in a way that is supportive and responsive Responsive. and for a purpose, most, all pediatricians will actually support sleep training in general, but there is, there is a right way to, I hate saying right, but there is a right way to do it. We don't want you to have prolonged crying of sleep training for weeks, which. And that's what we mean by the right way of doing it. Like in terms of like setting it up and having a plan so that you and your child doesn't necessarily have to experience that. Prolonged Um, crying. Yeah. Prolonged crying. Okay. I'm going to say this one. I'm going to read this one more thing and then let's kind of bring it back to that. Okay. Cause I think it kind of plays into it. So in another study, I'm going to record, I'm quoting it here. So when three to six month old babies play with a sensitive or in other words, a responsive mother for 15 minutes, their cortisol decreases. And then, so if sleep deprivation is affecting a parent's ability to be responsive, then during the day, then that could also increase your child's exposure. Now I'm going to exposure, I just say the cortisol. And the reason I bring this up is because of our own experiences, right, Mika? You know, I, you guys have heard me talk about this before, but I did have pretty severe postpartum depression and I will be honest in that I feel like I was you know, maybe physically there for my child. I do not think that I was necessarily always there emotionally for my child in that very beginning stage. And so really helping her to get better sleep, me to get better sleep and really reduce that overall sleep deprivation for our entire family, you know, it did reduce that stress, you know, um, I think for everyone involved. So sorry to digress, but let's, so let's go back though to, what we were saying though, with how we reduce that prolonged crying, because that is something to reduce because that can be stressful, right? And kind of hearing your child cry that hundred percent can be stressful. And so, you know, Mika, what do we do to help to reduce that, to set our kids up honestly for success and to help to reduce that prolonged crying? Yeah. So first I think it's just really our philosophy about sleep and crying in general. So you'd mentioned Chelsea, that there's three, no three different stress buckets, so to speak. And that means there's different colors of crying. So I, Mm -hmm. I always start off when we talk to our families is we can't always assume that the first reason why our children are crying is because they are in distress. Distress is a very general word too. Now we know that anytime there is change, mm-hmm. small amount of change, mm-hmm. right? You're getting waffles this morning to pancakes. Yeah. I <laughs> <us> crying. <laughs> and there is unregulated crying. And then we have what is called responsive okay. guidance during crying. So the first thing we say is when we look at helping our children learn that they are safe when they fall asleep independently, because let's be real, Chelsea, we are not teaching babies how to fall asleep independently. They no, do- they biologically know how to do that. We're telling them it's okay to do that. To do that. Yeah, yeah. They don't need other things. So the first thing is that we say that crying is going to be a form of communication. And when we talk about our method, it is about crying is a request for guidance. Mm -hmm. We need to know what's happening next, in which case 
we do not have prolonged crying and we don't have unregulated crying. Our method requires that you are actually responsive and provide guidance. And I would say that mm-hmm. that in addition to really focusing on aligning to biological rhythms and making sure that the right sleep pressure and desire to sleep quickly is appropriated between night and day is what helps our families stay really, really far away from <laughs> long crying. But yeah. I love, I love sharing this. Chelsea, we've had what 30 something people in our group coaching. We've had quite a few of them go through their first week. Do you want to share some of the average? Well, I was just saying, I was actually going to look at the group specifically because we had one mom who baby went to sleep after 23 minutes. We had another one. This is night one, you guys. Okay. Night one of bedtime strategies. We had another mom, a 12 week old, 11 minutes on their first night. But I would say on average, it's a, it's hovering around 40, 45 minutes. And the reason being like Nico was talking about is because before we even begin to implement our specific method of being responsive to the child and guiding them to know that that's okay, is we are, I say, setting them up for success, right? We're really kind of balancing that desire for sleep so that they aren't overtired, they aren't undertired. And so that their body is honestly just able to naturally fall asleep easier. And so by doing so, that greatly reduces going into that first night, just a period of crying. Now, Mika and I always say we don't necessarily take away crying just because particularly with babies, I mean, that's the biggest way that they can really communicate with you, right, you guys? And so, you know, what we're trying to do, though, is to be let them know that it's okay, still be responsive, but also be really consistent in our response so that that confusion that they might be feeling right now really quickly decreases. Yeah. Telling them as opposed to not communicating. And I do want to mention when, when Chelsea says 45 minutes, I will tell you that a lot of our (laughs) we've really honed in on how important aligning to your child's natural sleep rhythms are. It really is a lot less than that. And 45 minutes is not of all crying. No, it's not, it's not, it's not continual crying. It's just time from bedtime where they lay down in the crib or bassinet. They fall asleep. So yes, our families are experiencing varied, you know, some are just, uh, Hey, nothing's happening for 10 minutes. You know, what do I do? (laughs) do Nothing because they're, they're not asking. (laughs) I just, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, and that's, and that's the thing. And I, and a lot of times we give like specific guidance too on, you know, where to not make changes where to make changes to not, you know, essentially to, to decrease that additional crying, right. For our clients. And that's to say for, for all ages. And, you know, one thing that is really important to Mika and I is that we are really addressing the child where they are developmentally. And so how we can help to reduce that prolonged crying looks very different in a 10 week old baby as it does from a 10-month-old baby. That looks completely different. And so at the end of the day, yes, that is always at the center or in the back of our minds. How can we 
help your child actually to sleep better. <laughs> because I mean, that's the biggest part, right? But how can we do it in a way that is as smooth of a transition for you as parents for for baby? Yeah, who is responsive? And honestly, how we can get to that more peaceful sleep fastest. We had actually a client uh, just, I think it was uh, yesterday, we were like sharing some like, celebrations, essentially. And she was like, my son, he loves his bed. He pushes against me, wants to go into his crib and just kind of babbles to himself and plays for about five or 10 minutes before he dozes off. This baby is seven months. I was about to say, I think he started when he was six and a half. No, seven. And, you know, we love our beds. Do you love your bed, Mika? I love my bed. bed. (laughs) So we want to guide your child. No, it is okay to love your bed. (laughs) It is okay to want to go to sleep. Right. And so, and it honestly, that's kind of my favorite part though, too, is when we hear that. (laughs) Child also is an exception, especially if you are aligning to where they are. I mean, there is a way and that same, I remember that same family that you just talked about. I remember having a conversation with his mom and it was, uh, I don't, I just don't know. He's a really, he's really stubborn. (laughs) stubborn. And look at that two weeks. We did not even make it to the two week of. No, she was sleeping through the night on night three. Night three. Yeah. So, I mean. Yes. Anyways. Anyways. I'm sorry. We we just love our clients. We love our babies. (laughs) But I think that that it really goes, you know, there's just so many layers, right, Mika? And I I think that for me in this episode, what I'm really trying to do to all of you parents that are listening, watching, I just want to reassure you, right, that, you know, helping your child to learn how to sleep in a very consistent way. Yeah. Sleep routine. Sorry. You're not teaching. They know how to do it. So, but guiding them in a consistent way and in a responsive way, not only will help your child to get there on a consistent basis, but it will let your child know that you are there for them. And that in and of itself can also help to reduce prolonged crying when it's done in a very consistent methodical way, which is something that we obviously provide you guys a script and a blueprint on how to do that. But, you know, I just want to go back to that, that, you know, what if you are feeling like this is right for you and for your family, and this feels good to be responsive and to guide your child to do that, then that is amazing. You know, that please know that any crying is is short-lived. It is not an instance where it would be prolonged crying over weeks upon weeks. Um, it really is just a small amount of time that you will experience some crying within that transition. Yeah. So. When done, really, it's just when done with purpose, you're mm-hmm. not evil if you want to sleep train. Um, you're, you're not going to impact your child's attachment over a couple of days um, and that's a whole other podcast topic. Too. Podcast, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's, you know, there's, yeah. So, I mean, at the end, right, we always have tips. I was just about to go there. So, yes, you guys. So, at the end of every episode, we give you about two to three actionable sleep tips um, as it relates to our topic. And so, your rested mama sleep tips. <laughs> 
Okay, let's dive into these ones today. And then it really is surrounding that topic of sleep training and crying and, you know, all of that encompassing. And the first one is, is there is, there are different methods you can utilize that works for your child that, that can impact crying. Can you dive into that a little bit more in detail? Yeah, I think um, it goes back to making sure that when you do start, have a plan, but sleep training doesn't have to be equivalent to prolonged crying and harmfulness. I mean, they don't have to be synonymous, right? And responsive to your child, you can avoid prolonged crying, which basically blows away all the other pieces of Mm -hmm. opinions and articles that are out there that say it's bad. So don't let that stop you. There is a way. And also don't want to stop you too. If you feel like you need to make a little switch. I mean, we get clients all the time, you guys that have started with fervor or have started sleep training with cry it out. And they feel like there's a little piece missing there. And so that's also something to also know that it's okay to kind of switch gears a little bit if you feel like it's not really working for you or for your family. So And then the second one is to help reduce crying. Honestly, the biggest tip that Meek and I can give you is just to stay very consistent with your routines and your responses. You know, again, kind of goes back to that confusion piece, Um, you know, whether it's a baby or a toddler, a lot of times where, you know, we experience some crying with our child, it's just when they are confused. And so the best thing that we can do to help to reduce that, obviously, is to stay very consistent with your responses, as well as those routines as well. And then the last one, Mika, number three, you want to close us off with our tips? Yes. (laughs) When we talk about crying, In general, our biggest tip is listen to your child's cry. I don't know how many families have actually worked with us where we, this is part of our consult. We tell Mm -hmm. them, right, listen to the cry, really try to understand what is your child asking for? And they say, oh my gosh, I don't think I even realized my child had different, many different, right? We think of hunger cry, you know, I need to cry. Yeah. There's so many more. There's so many more. Listen to that. Um, Take a moment and pause and, you know, really try to understand what they're asking for. Um, And because it is really almost like their own little language. They are communicating to you. And so, yeah, it is. It's almost it's fun to see parents really almost getting to know their child in a completely different way because, you know, they're humans just like us. They're they're desiring that communication with you. So so, you know, as we wrap up, Mika, one thing I just would like to say is that we know that there are lots of kind of concerns and emotions and feelings regarding this topic And please know Mika and I are ones that like we welcome this conversation and we are happy to talk through it more in depth with you. Um, Even if you have some specific questions, you know, like we always say, we are real people on the other side of this podcast. So just know that too, you know, we please feel free to use us as a resource as well. So Anyway, last last little tidbit there, <laughs> Mika. So, um, and hey, Mika is headed out for out of town, and she is getting ready to go with her family on a nice vacation. And I am going to miss you, my Mika. But I hope that you have a wonderful vacation with your family. Yeah. I'm excited to hear all about it. So, um, well, thank you, my 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 other half, my better half of rest of Mama Happy Baby. 
<laughs> we'll talk to you guys soon and make sure that you always stay tested. <laughs> awesome. Bye guys. We'll talk Bye. to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rested Mama's Talk. To stay connected and get more sleep tips from us, follow us on our Instagram page at rested underscore mama underscore happy underscore baby. To find out how we're helping families around the world get better sleep, check out our website, restedmamahappybaby.com or chat with us directly to learn more about our programs. Chat with you next time.